Welcome to The Policy Shop, weekly conversations with public policy experts where we'll dive into the most important issues affecting all of us here in Illinois. I'm Hillary Gowans. Let's get started. Joining me today is Adam Schuster, Senior Director of Budget and Tax Policy at the Illinois Policy Institute. The biggest financial crisis facing Illinois is its public pension system. Adam's going to break down what's going on and why it matters to you. Adam, thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. This is my uh, favorite subject to talk about, as you know. So. You think about it when you wake up, when you brush your teeth, when you eat lunch, all day, pensions. Pretty much. <laughs> so before we get into some of the details here, why don't you set the stage for us? What is going on with Illinois' public pension system, and why does it matter for all of us? So Illinois' public pension crisis is the worst pension crisis in the nation. And this is nationwide pension debt is almost a $5 trillion problem. It's significantly larger than, say, the student loan debt problem. And Illinois, again, is the worst out of all 50 states. So virtually every other fiscal challenge we have, every other economic challenge we face can be tied back to the pension crisis in some way or another. So the fact that we're one of the highest tax states, the fact that we're one of the most indebted states, the fact that we have some of the highest rates of population loss, um, that our economy lags behind other states in the national average. You know, we were 48th in uh, home price uh, growth after the Great Recession, 48th in job growth in the decade after the Great Recession. The fact that, you know, a lot of the money we do spend in this state doesn't go to services people actually want and care about. Uh, All of these things are linked to the public pension crisis because basically uh, our politicians have created a system where they have promised people much more in retirement benefits than anyone ever could have afforded to pay them and created a structurally unsound system that is already hurting the entire state and ultimately will undermine the retirement security of those public servants uh, who the system is supposed to serve. That, and that's a big deal, right? Because more than one in 10 Illinoisans is in a public pension system. So break that down. I, what I really like about your analysis is that, you know, all of what you just said is, it kind of goes over most people's heads, but you put things into kitchen table speak. So do that for us here. So 1.1 million people in Illinois are either receiving or are set to receive uh, an Illinois public pension. So that's about one in 10 adults. And this is the primary and for many sole form of retirement security that they have. By contrast, only 4% of people in the private sector have access to a defined benefit pension, the type of pension system we're talking about. Most of us have to rely on 401ks or social security or some combination of, of different savings vehicles. Now, the problem with the with the pensions is that the amount that people get paid out has nothing to do with what anyone pays in. It has nothing to do with how much the employee pays in while they're working, and it has nothing to do with how much the employer pays in. The benefit payouts are based on your salary and your years of service, uh, but the amount that they're going to get for uh, working and the amount that they have to pay into the system is, is set by state law. And because of that, if there's any funding gap, 
uh, all of it has to be made up for by taxpayers. And so this is where the root of the problem comes from. Our, our politicians have basically promised pension benefits without ever figuring out a realistic way to pay for them. And year after year, there are these huge funding gaps that are made up for uh, with higher taxes and all the rest of us, or through cuts in spending on other types of programs that people want. And this is both at the state level and at the local level we see this occurring. We see higher taxes and cuts. And I want to go into that more in a little bit. But before we get too far, we have to give people a number. What's the actual pension crisis costing us? How much do we have in debt? Officially, according to the government reports itself, the total number is about $219 billion. That comes from $144 billion in debt for the five state pension systems. And then there's 650 roughly local pension systems that have another $75 billion in debt. So you add up that $144 billion for the five state systems, and then the local systems, you get to $219. Um, but that might actually be an optimistic estimate because the state uses very rosy assumptions in its pension accounting. And if you were to ask sort of an independent third party, uh, in this case, Moody's Investor Service, the credit rating agency, they would say that the true debt is about double that amount, actually more than double that amount. So they say that in the five state pension systems where the state says we have $144 billion in debt, it's actually $317 billion in debt. And that's because they're using accounting assumptions that are more in line with the private sector and, frank, frankly, more realistic. But the bottom line is it's a huge problem. It's about 30% of the size of our entire economy. It's about five times as large as our state budget each year. And it's something that, if we don't act soon, is going to quickly get away from us. One of the things I think people get hung up on with the pension crisis is that it seems so big that a lot of people tune out because they don't even understand what the crisis is, let alone how you fix it. But they also don't understand how it affects them because you kind of have to connect a few dots between, okay, the state can't uh, pay its pension bills. It's therefore not investing as much in services. How does that affect an individual Illinoisan? And so when you talk to your friends or your neighbors or your family, how do you explain that to them? So I think there's a general feeling in Illinois that people pay a lot in taxes and they don't get a lot back for it, right? People might not always um, understand uh, the dollars and cents down to a detailed level, but they, there's that general sense that I'm not getting a good bang for my buck here, right? And that's the pension crisis. The fact that you spend so much money uh, on state and local taxes, that our total state and local tax burden is one of the highest in the country, and you don't get much for it, that's the pension crisis. You know, that's the reason why we see such high levels of population loss and outmigration in Illinois, people fleeing to other states. It's not just the high taxes, right? There are other states with very high taxes that don't see the same type of outmigration, people fleeing that we see here, California and New York, for example. Um, they don't have the same levels of outmigration we do. Well, why? Um, because the money that people spend actually improves their lives. It, it goes to things like better schools, better parks, and, and they see the value for it. In Illinois, we are constantly playing catch up with, the, with this legacy debt problem that politicians created. And because of that, our schools rank 
below the national average on average on standardized testing. People don't necessarily see better garbage collection services or uh, better parks or better fire protection services, police protection services. So they end up paying more and getting less. That That's the pension crisis in essence. The really frightening thing about the pension crisis is how things got so bad so fast too. So in your research, you found that the year that things really got going and escalated uh, the the debt and the crisis is about 1982. Is that right? Yeah. So uh, the year before Mike Madigan became uh, Speaker of the House in Illinois, back in 1982, we had about $6 billion uh, in pension debt if uh, you were to adjust for inflation. So uh, that $6 billion in debt has just exploded, skyrocketed over the last 30 years or so. And the reason for that is that Politicians regularly gave out pension benefit enhancements or, you know, increases, sweeteners to pension benefits without sometimes even doing the math to figure out how much they would cost. And even if they did do the math to figure out how much they would cost, they did it with rosy assumptions and they never came up with a plan uh, for how they were going to pay for it. So, you know, we've seen in the mid 90s or the early 90s, rather, that was when they first put in place the 3% compounding cost of living increases. So uh, after you retire with an Illinois public pension, most pension systems, your pension is going to grow 3% per year, year over year, regardless of how the economy is doing, regardless of the amount of inflation. Um, There were also things like early retirement incentives in in the mid-2000s. But all these different pension sweeteners and enhancements never had a plan for how to pay for them. And uh, the employee contributions themselves don't come close. And that's not to blame the employee. They didn't set the system up, right? The politicians set the system up. But when you have someone, you know, taking out $2.6 million in lifetime benefits and their contributions over 30 years of working only cover 5% of the cost, the burden that puts on businesses and, you know, individual taxpayers is just too much for them to bear. And it's economically ruinous. So it's pretty easy, as you're articulating here, to get... um upset or, or panicked about what's going on because we frankly don't see any momentum on reform. But uh, what I think is really interesting is that this is, to your point earlier, a $5 trillion crisis nationwide. So other states are facing this and dealing with it, like Arizona. I mean, you, you speak with people all over the country who have tackled this. And I think the example in Arizona is really valuable because what we saw was elected officials from, from both parties coming together with union leaders, public safety officials, people who realize that we all have skin in the game on this and they compromised and worked together for a solution. So what are you seeing in other states that's working? So yeah, um, many states have tackled their pension crises and they've done it in uh, win-win ways. They've done it with reasonable, balanced reforms that leave everybody better off uh, than they were. So, you know, pension reform is not about pitting taxpayers or pitting private sector workers against government workers. It, it can be about making sure 
um, that we fix the problems we're facing for everybody. So in Arizona, that's probably the closest analogy to what we're trying to do here in Illinois. They had almost the exact same pension clause in their state constitution that we do. And what that clause does is it, it prevents, uh, it says that pension benefits are a contract and it says that the benefits can never be diminished or impaired. Uh, but both in Arizona and in Illinois, courts have read that to mean not only can you not take away benefits somebody's already earned for work they've already performed, but you also can't change it how fast that pension grows going forward. So it protects the future growth in their benefits. And Arizona's pension system was deeply indebted. They had a broken COLA. They were at risk of insolvency if there was a major recession. You know, the same problems we're facing here in Illinois. And the Reason Foundation, which is sort of a, a libertarian free market think tank, worked with unions in that state, including public safety unions, the firefighters unions, to amend their constitution and make changes to benefits and to the structure of the system uh, to ensure that it was sustainable and affordable. The same things happened in in many other states, uh, Michigan, uh, Colorado. There's several blue states that have done pension reform successfully. And uh, oftentimes what you're finding in the states that get this done uh, is that they have the the reforms have support from public sector unions because people realize, you know, I think it was the legislative director Uh, for AFSCME in Minnesota who said, uh, we supported pension reform because without it, there was not going to be any money in these funds for people when they go retire. So this, you know, preventing insolvency, uh, making sure that we can actually live up to the promises we make and that it's not an empty promise is good for workers. And what I really want people to realize about you is that you not only live and breathe this research and these ideas and solutions, but you also have family members who would have significant problems were the system to become insolvent, right? Like you have family members who are public pensioners. Exactly. So my, my dad is a, a 30-year career firefighter and paramedic. You know, his retirement security rests uh, on a public pension. Uh, I have, you know, friends and family members. My daughter's mom is an Illinois teacher. My aunt is an Illinois teacher. I used to work for the state government. I've got several friends who are, you know, in line to get a pension. So I do this because I care about them as as well as the fact that I, you know, care about the general uh, economic well-being of the state. And, And the types of reforms that could solve this would still leave them with extremely generous retirement packages, you know, still generally much better than someone in the private sector could hope to receive. And the trade-off you're talking about, you know, is really sort of, are you willing to take a small haircut to how fast your pensions grow going forward? You get to keep every dollar you've already earned, but you take a small haircut to how fast they grow going forward. And in turn, what you get for that is um, the security that it's going to be there, that the next recession isn't going to make it run out of money, um, as well as uh, you know lower taxes, which are, is good for government workers as, as well as private sector workers, and a faster growing economy with more job opportunities and higher wages, and a state government and local governments that can spend the money on services that actually you know provide you with benefit. Uh, and I think when you put it in those terms, the you know the vast majority of public pensioners come to understand that the pension reform really can be a win-win. When you talk with people invested in the systems, because I know you've spoken with people who work in public safety and, and other union members who are pensioners, do you see reasons to have hope that people who are pensioners or involved in some way are willing to come to the table? 
You know, I do see a lot of reason for hope when you talk to people one-on-one. So the individual worker tends to get it and they tend to be reasonable, right? If you say, for example, to a retiree, your check's never going to get smaller, but you know, your COLA, how fast it grows going forward, your COLA might be pegged to inflation rather than a guaranteed 3%. Um, but there's all these benefits to the state economy, to our state budget. Um, most of them are, are going to be okay with that. The resistance tends to be with sort of the union bosses, uh, the people who, you know, frankly work in politics more so than they do uh, work in public service. And those people have been pushing a narrative for, you know, decades now that the words pension reform means steal your pension. And it's ridiculous. It couldn't be, you know, further from the truth. I already explained, you know, you get to keep what you've earned and you take a a small haircut to how fast it grows. Um, But this this sort of propaganda and, and frankly, fear mongering has made many pensioners in this state in particular resistant to talking about change. Pension reform is actually pretty popular among taxpayers. We had some recent polling come out that proved that. Would you want to talk about how public opinion sits on this issue right now? Yeah, absolutely. So we just had a new poll that came out. Uh, what it showed is that when you talk about reasonable reforms, right, so not striking the pension clause entirely or taking away everybody's whole pension, but uh, this past future distinction, um, people are very supportive. Before I get to our poll, talk about uh, a poll that came out last year uh, from the Paul Simon Public Policy Institute, where they asked about this this past future distinction and amendment. They found 51% support for the first time for an amendment. Well, fast forward through the COVID era, a year and a half later, uh, we do a poll, ask almost the exact same question. We found 61% of Illinoisans already support this type of, of an amendment, an amendment that would protect what's already been earned allow for things to grow more slowly going forward. Um, When you then give people information, so that's just sort of uninformed. You just ask people, do you support this amendment? 61% say yes. Once you expose them to information about how the pension crisis is hurting people, how it's hurting our state's economy, uh, crowding out services people care about, driving up property taxes, all this other type of stuff, um, support jumps from 61% to 80%. Now, 80% makes it one of the most popular issues in the state of Illinois, right up there with any priority you've ever heard a governor campaign for office on. So what that shows us is that the people are far ahead of the politicians on this issue, that the people of Illinois support pension reform and they deserve an opportunity to vote on it. But the way our system works in Illinois is Springfield is the gatekeeper and we don't get to vote on an amendment unless they put it on the ballot. So we need to make that you know public support known so that the politicians in Springfield will do the right thing and give people an option to make their own voice heard. Yeah, we got to vote on whether or not we wanted a tax hike last year, but we don't ever get the opportunity to vote on whether we want pension reform. That would be nice. Um, talk about this false choice that you set up earlier. You know, if if we uh, keep going and spending at the same rate in the same way that we are right now, the options that politicians present before us are, well, we have to increase your taxes or we have to cut services. What is this dynamic look like in the state right now? Because I know that it goes on, but what does it actually mean? The, the politicians, people who, you know, are generally okay with the status quo or, you know, benefiting from the status quo, politicians who take a lot of donations from those public sector unions 
want us to believe that we only have two options forward. Uh, one of those is massive tax increases. And again, you know, we already have one of the highest tax states in the country. We, you know, rank very poorly on business tax climate measures. If you increase taxes more in this state, it's a self-defeating strategy because you end up hurting your economy and driving more people out. The other option they give us is further cuts to core government services. So more cuts to programs for the poor and the needy and, you know, kids without parents and the developmentally disabled and, you know, less spending on, on universities. Um, and they're giving you those options because they don't want to be honest about the third option, the elephant in the room here, uh, which is pension reform. Because uh, if we're already taxing too much, we're raising too much money, but we're not spending it in places that provide value to people and you're threatening to cut those programs more, you have to ask, well, what is it that you're trying to preserve? And, and what they're trying to preserve here, people like Governor Pritzker who opposed pension reform, uh, is the pension status quo. Rather than be honest with people about this very reasonable option of you know a small haircut and, and future growth leading to all these benefits, they give you only these, these two scary choices and it's a false dichotomy. The good news is there's still time. There's still time to fix this. And it's not funny. Funny is not the right word, but it's kind of funny because for the past how many years, five years or so, we've put on the table this solution in legislative form to fix the pension crisis. What's the solution and why hasn't anyone voted on it? So the solution is to amend our state constitution to match the rules for federal pensions at the federal level, they call it the anti-cutback rule, and to match the pension protections that are in place in many other states, which is uh, you can't take away what's earned, but you can make sure that things are sustainable going forward. Um, we've filed uh, amendment language to that effect. And they haven't even debated it. In fact, uh, down in Springfield, they have not had a serious debate about structural pension reform since 2013, since the last time um, something was debated. And they actually passed a bill at that time that was pretty good, not perfect, but would have made a pretty huge dent in our problems. And the state Supreme Court threw it out because of this pension clause. And when you come up to a roadblock like that, you know, I don't think anybody thinks the right thing to do is to throw up your hands and say, oh, oh, there's an obstacle. We quit. Better, better not try. The right thing to do is to, you know, figure out how to get around that obstacle. And in this case, you know, the bill that they tried to pass in 2013 was the right direction, but they needed to amend the Constitution to make that type of thing, you know, legal and acceptable. And so that's where, you know, we kind of sit in Springfield. Support for this has grown and grown among the public, and our lawmakers are kind of sitting on their hands and, you know, still haven't even had a debate about serious solutions. So we need overwhelming public pressure. We need people to call their lawmakers and write them emails, uh, you know, to, to let them know that they care about pension reform so that we can tackle what, what we said at the top of the show is the biggest challenge facing our state. One other thing I did want to get into, because your solutions are common sense, they're relatively modest given the scope of the problem. Um, and it is interesting because of something you said earlier, you know, the fact that union bosses sell this bad information that anytime someone throws out the word pension reform, it means we want to take your pension away. But I, you know, just to play devil's advocate, there are people on the more extreme end of the spectrum who say that they say, we want to take, we want to end the pension system right now and move everyone to 401ks. What's your response to that? 
politics is the art of the possible, right? And you have to focus on what's actually attainable and what can pass. In order to get a constitutional amendment done, you need to pass supermajority of the General Assembly, and then you need a supermajority of Illinois voters to approve the change. And I think a lot of voters in the state feel the way I do about this, which is that we should try to look for the solutions that will solve the problem while doing sort of the least harm or the least reduction in benefits. So we don't want to go further than we need to cause harm that we don't need to to retirees and and, and that sort of thing. And so the solution we've come up with is focused on on just that, on, on, you know, giving consideration to, to sort of both sides here, the people who are getting the benefits and the people who are paying for them. And how can we make it work for both sides? You know, an immediate transition to 401k also has certain costs. You know, you're taking out new entrants into the system. And unfortunately, our pension system is kind of built like a Ponzi scheme or or a pyramid scheme. And when you take out the bottom of the pyramid, then there's no more money flowing up to the top, right? And so what we really need is is a comprehensive solution, a solution that, you know, considers all the actors and all the stakeholders and, and tries to kind of balance the interests help people understand the process for a constitutional amendment too. So we're talking about the existing mechanism to reform pensions. That means reforming the constitution. So walk us through step-by-step what has to happen in Springfield for pension reform to even be possible. So first, a constitutional amendment resolution has to pass both the House and the Senate. It has to pass with three-fifth majorities in both chambers. It does not have to be signed by the governor. So unlike a a bill or a statute, it doesn't go to the governor for signature. It basically goes to the people for our signature or our approval. And that approval takes place in a general election. Um, And the threshold is a little complicated, but it's it's either 60% of the people voting in the election or a majority of the people voting on the question. But the way that works out is depending on how many people kind of drop off and don't vote on the question, it's probably going to be something like 55 to 60 percent of the people who need to vote for it. Um, so you need to you know, pass it through the General Assembly, then goes to the ballot for approval from the people. Uh, and that's it. That's all we need to do. You know, it sounds very simple when you put it that way. Um, the problem is, is building that coalition of lawmakers, of politicians who are, you know, just willing to give the people this option. So let's just put it out there. We want any public union members who are willing to talk with us about this to come to the table because we want to work with you so we can enact pension reform and fix this problem. Absolutely. And uh, again, it's a win-win. You know, uh, I'm happy to sit down and go over with anyone, you know, the specific types of reforms you've proposed, how it might affect an individual's benefits. So, you know, people can see that this really is a change that's good for the whole state. Well, thanks for laying all of this out there. I'm really excited to talk about this topic with you. I think when people hear you talk about pension reform and the solutions that exist and the the problems that are out there right now that will just get worse if we don't do anything, I, I think you really help people understand the scope of the problem and the fact that there are solutions that we can turn to that will actually affect very positive change for everybody here. So thanks for diving deep on this issue with us today. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To keep up with all of our work at the Illinois Policy Institute and to sign up for our newsletter, visit illinoispolicy.org. If you like what you heard today, subscribe and give us a five-star review. We'll see you next week for another episode of The Policy Shop.